and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, Axel? Uh, complicatedly. Go move on. Alright, well we're going to start today's episode the same way we start every episode, by thanking those people who make this entire endeavor possible. Those are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Orion McCann, Chris Chipman, River Galley, and Krug. Now, if you'd like to become a patron, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents in episode one will help us immensely, and two gets you early access to the podcast. And as a special treat, it gets us one step closer to getting Axel to play Subnautica on stream. That'll be fun. Sadist. All right. We are once again joined by representative from Pretoria, Snailboat Captain. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you back on the show, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. All right. So this little people behind the scene is going to be a mulligan on an episode we did previously that was lost to the warp. We're just going to talk about, I think the general catch-all term will be a tabletop game. Hopefully this one isn't lost to the warp because we have maybe been hacked. Don't want to go into details, but if we lose this one as well, I'm going to be grumpy. If we lose this one, we know why we lost this one. It's because Snailboat Captain is sabotaging us. Pretoria's uh, intelligence agency will not take these accusations lightly. Someone's been playing a lot of Civ. <laughs> I was just playing it before the, the stream. You know, the new Gathering Storm's a lot of fun. I want to like that game so much, but there's so much about it I just, I don't like. It's funny that it's appropriate to the conversation because it's basically tabletop and built into a video game. And that seems like an obvious thing. Technically, like any video game is in a sense tabletop with no game, but there are some video games that are more so that, and turn-based strategies fit the bill pretty well. Well, yeah, because there's games literally like Scythe Digital Edition, which is just the digitized version of, you know, the board game. And then there are games like Civ, which is like a board game, but more of the dice rolling is being done behind the scenes. There's also a lot of the management, so you don't have to worry about it. Like, uh, if you want to micromanage what each person is doing and what each resource is doing, the game has, like, as much depth and math as you want to yeah. I actually I actually played Risk on a computer before I played it on a board game. It's kind of catching on. More and more people are playing their board games on computers, if only because, one, they don't have the space, or because it allows you to get together with friends a whole lot easier, especially if your friends are spread to the four corners of the earth. One thing that's really interesting about Civ is since it's turn-based, it has a, a reputation for being very slow online, but they added a new feature called Play by Cloud, so I could play and it basically sends an email to your friend that says, it's your turn now. So you can play, like, the long game. You know, we've been playing this game for a very long time. That's, well, that's awesome. Well, that's uh, the diplomacy. That's how diplomacy has been played for a long time. I mean, there was, before the advent of the computer age, it was a normal thing to play diplomacy by mail, where you would just send out, like, everyone would send their movement in the mail to the guy who's actually, like, running the board. They would just keep a board in, like, a room. That is taking it to the logical extent. Well, also diplomacy, like if you have everyone together, takes like two days to play. So it makes sense to kind of do it over this really long period of time. I mean, the only way that you could make it even further is that if you got a group of friends together to, you know, enact, reenact the battles that you're waging. 
LARPing, which some would argue ruins tabletop. Depends on how uh, far into it you get, I guess. I'm just thinking, you know, if I ever become an eccentric billionaire, I'm playing real-life Risk. I played real-life, well, not real-life, but uh, I played wizard chess with actual people before. That was neat. Where'd you do that at? When I was in grade school, I think it was between third and fourth grade, I was part of something called the Educational Talent Search Program. And for the summer of that time, when we went to this program during the day, it was all done Harry Potter style. Because this was like before the movies, but at the height of you know Harry Potter book craze, essentially. And so we'd go, you know, the first day we all got sorted into houses, we'd put on the robes and we would do various activities that were related to the you know classes like for potions class we made rock candy and then near the end of the summer we had a chess tournament and the people who got at the end the number one uh, you know the championship match was done with all of the other kids taking up roles of the pieces now did they talk back to you well i wasn't the one controlling it i did not actually get to champion was not that good i did come in i so here's what happened in the very first round i played my friend michael and he beat me so i went on to the consolation tournament and i won that and michael ended up winning the whole thing were you one of his pieces yes i was one of his pieces i was a bishop i believe oh so i found out a cool fact uh the other day the rooks are actually meant to represent chariots Okay. I mean, now they're castles, so... Well, yeah, but think about... When you think about their movement, it makes so much sense. I suppose. I don't know. That was a fun fact about chess. So, I think... We've talked about this before. We each kind of come from a different school, quote-unquote, of tabletop. I am a tabletop war game, your board games and everything between, and Snailboat, you're kind of a D&D role-playing, I think that's fair to say. I, I've I've also played war games when I was younger. Well, yeah, I Primarily think we've all my... dipped uh, toe in the other, but these I think are just kind of our big three. Like, if you're going to go to one, this is the one you're going to go. See, I think oddly enough, that distinction was true when we recorded this the first time last year. But now I am so much more of the role player in tabletop. I have three continuously ongoing role-play games, two of them D&D and one Marvel Heroes that, like, every week I've got three different sessions, and I almost never play board games anymore. I do love board games, and I have a collection of them. I can still talk about them, but I'm far more into tabletop role-playing now. You've just changed addictions. It's okay. For me, it's the opposite, because when I first moved to uh, live near Axel, I didn't play board games at all, and now my wife and I are collecting more and more board games, and some nights we'll just play, like, uh, like some two-player board games and just watch TV with. See, uh, Slugathor and I have very different interests in board games. She wants them, you know, quick, not too long, done and over. Me, I'm a risk guy. I'm world domination. I want a level of, uh, well, I want it to tend more, almost be a tabletop war game. I like Skip Bow. It's probably one of my favorites right now. If you want to call it a board game. It's hard. Oh, what was one that I recently found I was interested in? Give me a second. I'm curious about this one. Twilight Imperium. It's dense as hell game that basically revolves around you and multiple people trying to conquer the galaxy, but with a heavy layer of diplomacy because one of the big things is, yeah, 
you can go over there and destroy your enemy, but that means you're weakened, and that means everyone else can gang up on you and take the territory you just spent all your time fighting and dying for. All right. And Those ones are fun. I haven't had... Huh? What is it similar to, like, mechanically speaking? Uh, I would say some of the more flavorful Risk games, because you pick an alien faction, and it comes with all sorts of perks and benefits, and there's a big star map, and you build armies and collect resources, and you go, and the goal is kind of trying to take over the galaxy one way or the other. But unlike Risk, where Warfare doesn't really carry any penalty except losing, this one does have the interesting thing of, haha, I have beaten Axel and seized his planet, and now it is mine. And then, you know, Snailboat goes, oh, would you look at that? You only have, you know, half a stack left, while I have 12 stacks. I'll be taking that planet now. So there's kind of, diplomacy really plays a more of a part because it's like, okay, I want this war, and I don't want to get stabbed in the back. How do I make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, it sounds diplomacy like, but I mean the game diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, and it's huge and it's dense, and I think games go on for days at a time. So it's right in my wheelhouse, but at the same time, I'm never going to find anyone to play it with me. So this is like a tabletop war game, right? Like you said, that's your your wheelhouse. So it's almost because there actually is a lot of debate about you know what makes a war game and what's not. And this one is pretty damn close. I recently watched a whole video like, if you have friends that you want to get into, you know, wargaming, here are some great ones to do it. This one lacks a couple key aspects, namely that you do not paint and put together the models. And I don't know. It's it's adjacent to, but not a war game. So it's basically like a deck builder in that... It's a board game that gives you access to the kind of feeling that a different set of games has without having to invest in them deeply. You know what a deck builder is? Yes. Okay, for anyone who doesn't know, there's a concept. So you, everyone out there has probably at least heard of things like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon the Trading Card Game, things like that. So those games, playing them is really fun, but in my experience and a lot of other people's experience – the collecting the cards themselves, sorting through them. Generally speaking, people with more money to spend are going to have better decks because they can get their hands on better cards. This is all called The Chase, and it is a really crappy part of being into TCGs, which is tradable card games. So what deck builder games uh, aim to do is give you the experience of playing a TCG without any of the chase involved. Example, one of my favorite board games is Legendary, which is a Marvel deck builder where you and all the players, because you get up to like six players, something like that, are cooperatively working together to take down a Marvel villain trying to do something. And you do it by building a deck based on predetermined like hero cards over the course of the game. So you build, so you build your deck and then play your deck and there's no, well, of the, all the other BS I talked about before in it. So this sounds like a similar thing where it's like, all right, we'll give you the experience kind of, of a war game without the necessity of having to spend a bunch of money and time on models and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause the thing with me and I, I've always kind of struggled with board games is I want three-dimensional pieces the more detailed the better which is why i've never gotten i've never really enjoyed card games as a whole i grew up in the age of pokemon and 
a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh under the tail end. I never got it because I want a full three-dimensional thing. And that's why I play, you know, largely uh, Age of Sigmar and uh, Warhammer 40K because it's a physical miniature that I can see and pick up and put down. And even when I've dabbled in D&D, I've kind of wanted a figurine to go with it. And I was going to ask Snailboat, are you a figurine guy or is it all pen and paper for you? I, I'm actually several. I like figurines but one thing that uh, i'll talk about more is digital tabletop games in person i'll talk about that more when we get to that specific segment uh it's we'll go ahead and jump in on it now actually i have something that kind of goes with what you were saying so one thing i really like about role-playing games is the role-playing and one game that uh axel introduced me to is called one night ultimate werewolf and it's a game where you have a, a a group of people and it involves playing specific roles and like figuring out other people's roles and each role having a place in the game and manipulating that role to get like the desired outcome. To- and it, yeah, it, I've it, played it, this game. This one's fun. And I think it kind of goes a lot of times like, you know, there's board games, there's tabletops in this discussion. And then we also have uh, war games, right? And your board game was a war game like board game. I, I think this as a like a role play board game for me personally. And I just I kind of drew that line there and you reminded me of it. Well, what's interesting about one night and i didn't draw that i i understand and i actually very much agree with you i've i consider one night primarily right it's a deception game i love deception games of any kind but deception by its very nature is you're playing a role and one night takes it a bit farther by literally just being about you know taking on these various roles. like another deception game that's really great is avalon but in avalon you're not really taking on a role other than either being a good guy or a bad guy trying to hide the fact that you're a bad guy that's really it as far as roles are concerned but one night gets gives you a little more playing with it because you can be like you know the drunk or the the seer for anyone who doesn't know as snail was kind of describing that the point of one night is you pass around these cards that give you a role you put them face down so no one else sees what you are usually get an app or someone to read the book that says everyone close your eyes now if you were this card open your eyes and do this thing with you know the cards in front of you or if you were this thing you know open your eyes and look for other people who have opened eyes as well it's stuff like that and then at the end of the night you know everyone wakes up at the same time and then the goal is find the werewolves you've got 10 minutes to discuss at the end of those 10 minutes everyone points to who they want to kill whoever gets the point at the most dies if a werewolf or a minion dies, then the village wins. If anyone else dies, the werewolves win. Unless you're the Tanner, in which case you only win if you die. <laughs> so, what, One thing I like about it is, I'm, this is also going off of what you were saying already, is I actually like shorter board games with several renditions. Because with longer board games, I do feel like the tendency to snowball is more punishing. Or like a game like One Night, if I lose that round, it you know, 10 minutes, you're in another round. Whereas like Risk... You know, an hour in, if someone has a pretty strong advantage, you could say, oh, well, why don't we start a new game? Because we already know the inevitability, because that can happen in Risk. Yeah, but that's kind of what I like about Risk, is sometimes it can seem that way, and then you I roll the die or some smart strategy. That's my one problem with Risk, and it's kind of the reason I've really drifted more into tabletop, is Risk, that's a lot of randomness. I mean... It all comes down to, I have 20 guys, let's hope the dice are in my favor. Yeah, but you're kind of overlooking, I think what Snail is saying that I think is really important is not just, is any long-form tabletop game, any of them. The, the classic example is Monopoly. Everyone knows it's a very 
you know, shared experience, you come to a point in a Monopoly game where it's obvious, extremely obvious who is going to win. And then the remaining hour it's going to take to play it out is just a farce at that point. And that's usually where it comes to table flipping or just giving up. But that same process happens in any game that generally has a longer play time than an hour, hour and a half. Another example, Munchkin. The reason I stopped playing I was going to say, are we going to bring up the Munchkin problem? That one can definitely snowball. And then it just comes everybody pooling their resources to stop the one guy. And then the only person who wins is when everybody runs out of resources. Yeah. So the point is that generally speaking, the shorter form games allow you to have different rounds are, and I actually very much agree. One of my favorite games period is love letters and love letters takes at maximum like three minutes to play around. It's the kind of game you take with your friends when you're going to like fast food while you're waiting for Jack in the box. Like we've literally done that. And it's just so quick that it's like, you never feel bogged down by the experience. It's just you keep on moving forward faster. I mean, the longest game that I have that doesn't have that problem, I think, is like Betrayal. That's because Betrayal completely changes the rule set about halfway through the game. So Yeah, at first it's completely cooperative, right? And then it shifts later on. So there's not as much snowball. Exactly. Well, then let's kind of go to the opposite end of the spectrum and talk, you know, D&D and role-playing games where there are people who've had the same ongoing games since they were children. Yes, but in that case, right? Well, okay, we'll say I'm not saying you were trying to draw a line directly from this problem. Oh, I'm not. I'm just, you know, saying we've got a segue we can use. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll I'll segue. I I don't think that role playing games like D and D. I think that most people that play them don't intend to win a game or see it that way. But I I could see the segue. I guess. Is that what you were going to say, though? For example. Snail and I here, we are part of a D&D game that uh, plays on Mondays. We've been doing it for, what, 13, 14 months at this point? Something like that? Yep. And this was with uh, people that we haven't actually met in person. It started when Snail actually found them on, what was it, Reddit? And they were looking for some new new blood. And then I said, hey, I'm looking for more chances to roleplay. Get me in there. And so we now we've been there for 13, 14 months and these people are pretty awesome. Like they're, I can say, I may not have met them, but I remember, you know, when I was in high school, a bunch of my friends played MMOs. I don't like MMOs. I, for, that could be a whole nother episode on what my problem is, but I always was envious of their stories about these crazy, like fun nights with friends from other States they had never met, you know, that never happened for me. So this is like the first time I've got to experience that kind of thing where I've got these three friends who I have never actually met. <laughs> I'll go ahead and do a little intro here. So Dungeons and Dragons is going to be the tabletop role-playing game I focus on. There's lots of different systems, but I- I'll just focus in on this one. It was created in 1974 by Gary Gygax. It's currently owned by Wizards of the Coast, who also owns Magic to the Gathering. They're currently on their fifth edition, and a normal group consists of one dungeon master or game master, depending on like you know who taught you how to play, and three to four people, but really, you can have any size. I've seen games where it's one-on-one or you know 20 people at a table. Although, generally speaking, more than five players and one DM gets difficult and unruly. <laughs> It does. As of 2004, too, uh, D&D has remained the best-selling role-playing game, with an estimated 20 million people having played that game. Uh, normally, like uh, each session can be called like an adventure, and a bunch of adventures string together is called a campaign. Now, a lot of people play at home or play with people online, but 
the one thing I wanted to talk about today was for anyone that's listening that's interested in playing that's never played, your local comic shop has something called an Adventure League. Now, this is essentially organized play. And you can show up with nothing but like, you know, a willingness to play and they'll generally play. Now, sometimes people pull their resource ventures for the group, but usually it, it's all very free from my experience. I've done a couple in the past and I like it. It's more mechanical than I would say a home game is and less personal. But if you just want to try role playing and playing it, I think Adventure League is a really good place to start. Well, also, I, I would say as someone who has played, you know, a handful of different systems, uh, I started off actually with Shadowrun myself, which is a lot more open-ended, but I've started to explore a lot of different role-play systems. And uh, right now, Marvel Heroes, for instance, is very, very different. But D&D is, to my experience, the best one to start with because, it, you know, Dungeons & Dragons was built by Gary Gygax originally as a modification of tabletop wargaming. So there's that's the segue. But so because of that, it's as Snail put it, very mechanics heavy. While there is definitely room to role play, DD is constructed to be simple. Like you don't have to building a character generally is way easier than most other quote unquote advanced systems. Because basically pick a race, pick a class, okay, you're you're done. You've you've created your character. Anything else, fill in as you play, essentially. And then the rules are very codified after five editions they know how to simplify things especially because the fifth edition is itself based largely around simplicity compared to previous editions edition three for instance is famous for being very uh not user friendly <laughs> so it that's for the people that want to be ridiculously ridiculous but the point is that D is great way to start because of its simplicity and then once you you know have had some experience with how to how to do it and you want to start exploring other kinds of systems then they exist because now with geek culture basically dominating popular culture in general there's less you know stigma about tabletop role playing and it, there's a lot more experimentation happening uh there's things like cortex plus which is a general system that you can use for any kind of system but then there's concepts like call of cthulhu where you want to be a uh, you know, Lovecraftian adventure where you're almost certainly to die and you feel weak and powerless as opposed to being a powerful adventurer, that system exists. There's a system for you no matter what you want to play. I, also, it seems like a lot of the stigma about D&D and its association with the occult has worn off, which has really helped it get into mainstream. Things you know, like Stranger yeah. Things too, casually having D&D in it really helps us. You know, which, I recently found out that uh, while that definitely was a, a big – I reading the about D&D online, you definitely see that. I found out that a lot of the satanic panic was actually aimed uh, at Vampire the Masquerade, which I knew was a card game. I didn't know it was a, a role-play game, but that was like uh, considered – because of how that particular rulebook was written, it was seen as like a guide to Satanism apparently, you know, fear-mongering, but – yeah, D&D got the same crap back in like the 70s and 80s. Well, they actually changed it. So in D&D, there is two groups that primarily function in the, the the nine planes of hell, which are devils, which are like the the lawful evil contract guys. And then there's demons, which are just, they're crazy, chaotic evil, and they just do damage. Now, they changed those names back, I think, I want to say in the either advanced D&D or, or three, you know, third edition. I can't remember. But uh, things like Yulgoloths used to be called daemons. Right, but they changed them to Yulgaloth because the word daemon was too close to demon, and they were trying to avoid all that that bad press. You know, they've since reverted them to devils, demons, but they did uh, keep Yulgaloths as Yulgaloths because daemon and demon were too close, and they just thought that was a good a good place to keep it where it's at. Yulgaloths are the neutral evil; they don't really care about chaos or evil. 
evil or lawfulness. You also can't copyright Demon. Games Workshop just went through that one. <laughs> also, though, I mean, the whole reason we're bringing this concept up is we talked about essentially what it is you get out of an entertainment experience, right? Like whether it was feeling like you're a commander commanding an army in a war game or basically I feel like board games specifically are very good at giving you uh, testing the waters for different styles of play and other more advanced kind of games. It's one of the best things about board games that are meant for smaller session kind of play. And tabletop is very much the opposite where it's like, generally speaking, you know, one shots are a thing and a one shot means you sit down do a session maybe with some characters you just made up on the fly. At the end of that single session, you're done, right? That means like you don't have to worry about long form commitment or anything like that. You know, you just have fun. Those exist. But more often, if you're going to sit down and do tabletop role playing, you're kind of committing to this long form game. And what it is you get out of it depends on what kind of player you are. And because these games are very open ended, you can be a lot of different kinds of players. I mean, the most famous that is joked about the most is probably uh, the murder hobo, which is the idea of someone who's playing just for a power fantasy. They just want to kill everything. They usually don't care about role playing. They're just like, all right, roll the attack. Did I kill it? Boom, get the experience. Now on the opposite side, you get like um, drama geeks, essentially, which is basically what I am. Someone who's just playing for the opportunity to act ridiculously, put on a stupid voice, uh, and have fun playing in a role that isn't me. In fact, I'm usually less interested in the actual mechanical stuff. Like if I'm playing, uh, for instance, in our game, me and Snail, I play a barbarian. And if I was just caring about fighting things, I'd have like a weapon, you know, big axe, and I'd just smash things, right? But I play with no weapon so that I can say like, okay, I grab this guy and I suplex him onto this other guy. Cause I come up with, you know, creative fun things. Point being different styles of play facilitate different kinds of activities. You know, some, I am what I like to call a rules appreciator. So I really like the rules and structure. Cause it lets me know what, I, what boundaries I can push. But as far as like the commitment to D and D goes, things like adventure league are designed in what's called the season where they'll do several one shots but they do have loose connections where you could show up one week, skip three weeks and play the last week. And they'll do like a whole season based around, uh, I'll do an example, Curse of Strahd, where all the one shots they do take place in that setting and they contribute to the overarching or over, uh, overarching story of that like module. And it's kind of a way for them to also encourage people to buy the book. So if, you, if you're not looking for a long form commitment and you just want to try it, like that Adventure League is very much episodic like one shot kind of games. You get to bring your character to each one and they like have like a little log where you like, I got this much XP. So you still get to like level up and experience the the different, you know, abilities and stuff like that. But that's much more of a one shot thing versus the stay at home and play like the long campaign like me. and I mean, I also personally find that one of the main reasons to play a tabletop game is to it's any tabletop role playing game while there is the game master generally constructing the world it is shared narrative building while while the game master is generally running and really directing how the world builds any game master truly worth their salt is giving their players the opportunity an almost equal opportunity to build and construct the world even through different kinds of actions or decisions and so that that thing where i'm with a group of people and we're all collectively creating the story together creates a camaraderie that I feel like is increased when it's 
you know, this long form thing. It's just personal, right? Like, again, one shot's great, but I'd say one shot's even better if you're doing it with a group of people you've been playing with for a long time and you get to all just be ridiculous and silly with each other. It's in jokes and stupid, you know, gifts and, and stuff like that. But at the same time, as I said, this is also a way to meet new people. So I feel like Adventure League, based on what you've described, uh, Snail, sounds like a really good way to, to find and create friends like that. I, I had a I haven't done it where in my new location, but when I first started playing, I actually went to Adventure League, and they also have programs there to help you learn how to dungeon master. So like you could go there, play as a player, and start learning how to dungeon master, and maybe take that home to your friends and drag them into it. Like it's just it's a good avenue if you're just curious, but you don't want the financial commitment of books and you know other miniatures things like that. In in general, yeah, it's not going to be the same kind of financial commitment I hear that wargaming is based on my talks with Ulrich. But, you know, I want to support these things. So generally speaking, if I'm playing a system, I'm going to buy the books for the system. I have a bookshelf dedicated just to my D&D books, for example. And they're expensive, as, but I bought them because I, I like having them physically. <laughs> I think that if you were going to have one book, it'd be the player's handbook. and It's around $30. Oh, $30 for just a single book. That'd be nice. <laughs> Ulrich here, I know, has had bad experiences in the past with a tabletop that, from what he's told me, comes to not meshing well with other players. But that is... It, it's all... I mean, unit cohesion and your ability to play with other people and how you play with other people is pretty important. And the impression I've got from Ulrich's stories is that Ulrich is kind of a goofy, rules-out-the-gate kind of player where he does some real crazy stuff, and he's played a lot of times with people who are too serious and get upset when he doesn't play quote-unquote correctly. <laughs> the problem I've had, the two times I've tried playing d and and they have always ended the same way, is we're having a good campaign, everyone's kind of having fun, and then one person decides we aren't playing correctly, takes everyone's sheets, and goes home and never comes back. And the first time it was because which, we weren't role-playing hard enough, which I don't know what that means even. I mean, aside from hitting each other over the head with blunted weapons. And the second person, he got mad because we weren't taking it as seriously as he was. I'll say this, that it, in my opinion, what you should try to do if you are going to build a D&D group is think of it like Subway. Some people want lettuce on their sandwich. Some people don't. I might show up, and all I care about is combat. And I will play for combat, and I'll participate as best as I can. But D&D is like a tailored custom experience. And it's custom based on your group. It's custom based on what you like. You should surround yourself with people that, in a very polite way, can mind their own business about what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy. Axel hates inventory management. I love it. Like in that group we're playing, I have a bag of holding and I keep track of all the gear I put in there. And I, I enjoy that kind of thing. Right. So I, I enjoy that myself. I don't care that Axel doesn't enjoy it. And that's, that's how our group works. Well, fun thing about that is not only do I hate inventory management, I generally hate gear management in general. So on, in that campaign, snail's character is very into like, Ooh, magic sword and, and stuff like, especially if it has a great story behind it. Whereas my character like got gloves of strength and just toss them in the backpack because it's like, what? I don't bother. I, I have my fists. I built that character to be gear independent, so I like am vehemently against gear, which I know caused the DM some 
some headaches for a while on how to reward me, which I didn't really need a reward. I wasn't complaining or anything, but it's just funny because a different set of priorities creates two very different experiences. And that's why I think our DM is very good though, is he's tried his best to tailor the game to like everybody's preferences within reason, you know, like make it as fun for everybody. Cause you know, it's not like someone having fun in a different way really ruins. But I think a really good example of what we're talking about with the, the different kind of styles of play actually is that snail and I are in a different campaign. We actually have two different campaigns that we're both part of. And in that other one we meet in person with uh, some friends of mine. Uh, well, actually friends of ours. They're your friends now too, I would say, but also snail's wife. Now snail's wife was not initially that interested and so when when snail brought her in he uh she had this character she has this character that's basically a, a half orc fighter basically as straightforward of a murder things as you can so when we sit down and play snail's character is this aracocra which is a bird person who is like a lawyer and he just role plays the hell out of it like figuring out funny bird isms to make the whole table laugh whereas his wife spends most of the time drawing or not really that engaged until a combat comes around and she can murder things and we don't hold it against her no one ever like you know gets upset because she's we don't not... take her sheet and make her go home yeah exactly like she's allowed to to do that if she was really you know creating a problem we just talk with her about it but again it's not a problem we understand that different people play a little differently this is all See, Slagathar has accused me of when I play role-playing games, my inner asshole comes out, and that's why they never end well. From what I can tell, I don't know anyone that wouldn't get along with you constantly. You seem like a really friendly guy constantly. <laughs> See, I know what Ulrich's talking about, though, and there is a line that, uh, if I were DMing, for instance, th there's a line that you, you have to draw, which is when it comes to player-on-player -player activity, right? Like, generally speaking, if I'm creating a group, for instance, I would say, hey, one of the basic tenets of this group is that you are all working together. You want to have disputes and arguments, like as players and as characters, that's fine. But generally speaking, to avoid the quagmire and bad, generally bad decision that is rolling against each other, we just make it kind of like a rule that unless it really works in context, unless everyone's on board with like how it can work, we don't do that because we like it, affirmative consent. Yeah, exactly. Cause it, if you start like saying, all right, I'm going to attack, you know, my, my friend here, let's literally stay next to me and hurt him just because, and he's like, I'm not wanting to PVP. I'm like, I don't want to play versus player. Then it, it just creates bad tension and it makes it not fun for everyone who has to like be in the same room as this this thing going on. So it's like, as entering the group, we have this kind of uh, contract of, all right, we don't fuck with each other in in ways that are unfun. Like you want to joke with someone, you want to maybe pull little pranks on someone, that's fine. But we don't, you know, straight up murder each other or anything like that. You know, I am infamously known now in certain D and D circles as the paladin who lost his alignment for attempting to kill his wife. Exactly. <laughs> Did she consent to being killed? No, but I still stand by my decision. And I don't. And that would be like, I'd love to play. I've been, I've been wanting to get you into a game with me for a long time because I feel like you should have a, a good time with it. But that is one of the lines that I have to draw is no killing or even attempting to kill the other players unless they're like 
you know, brainwashed by a vampire or something. <laughs> so. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, and, and eventually they solve that where they just say, like, actions taken against another player will cause you to lo- you lose your alignment. And, like, they have restrictions because they want everyone to cooperate. Where, like, the only type of character you can play that's evil is lawful evil. But I don't have a problem DMing an evil campaign. But I, I'm with Axel where I you're a group of people. You should have an interest in being together because, like, I've played in games where the, everyone had their, you know, was on their own program and no one was interested in being a group, you know, and that's not fun. It's it's a cooperative game. It's better when people are cooperative. Yeah, so no. that's like the one line I would draw. <laughs> I'm the type of guy that start, you know, throwing uh, chairs at the DM, going, all right, I'm going to fight the DM now. Yeah, we also, okay, that's, that's another thing that I admit every player does i'm about to describe at some point but i feel like once you have more experience it happens less and less and you get better at it which is you know it it becomes very easy especially early on to argue with the dm about why you think a way something should go the way it goes now generally speaking the polite and better way to handle these situations is to state your initial objection and then if the dm so like your argument and if the dm overrules it you drop it for the sake of the game, for the sake of your players, you drop it. You want to bring it up again, you talk with the DM after the game is done, so not as to fuck with everyone else's fun. But this is something you have to, that it comes with experience. I mean, I've literally done it to Snail, where Snail yeah. was my DM, and I've argued with him and realized I was being an ass later. And we apologize. But I, as a DM, have also been an ass, too. That's, a, that's an important thing, I think, too, is you need to trust DM should be there so that everybody can have fun, just like the players should be there. And if you trust each other, you trust that DM, like he's only ruling this because he thinks that's fair, or that's what's right. And if you have someone you can believe, then that person would be a good DM for you. Here's a fun historical fact that I'll kind of tie in. There was a tribe in, uh, I think it was the ancient, classical era, era, in modern day Eastern Europe called the uh, Dacians. And they believed that they were at war with their gods. So one of the things they would do is when there was a thunderstorm, they would ride on horseback and shoot arrows up into the sky. That's often how I play my uh, D&D characters. They will literally fight the gods themselves just because. And you want to fight the god in-game? There are ways to do that, but we don't argue with the DM because that's not fun for anyone. I'm just trying to put it in perspective. People don't think, oh, he's just a total asshole. Like, no, my character is like, oh, that's a thunder god. I'm going to punch it in the dick. Why? Well, because he's there. Let me give you what I think at this point in hindsight is a fun example of what I'm talking about. Uh, Snail ran a campaign. He's kind of running a campaign concurrently where I play this child elf wizard. And we had a situation where we were in a cave. There was a river. There was a big, like a lake kind of thing. And there was like a hole at the bottom of the lake that the water was draining through and uh, two of our party were getting dragged down into the deep. So I used shape water to create, like I had asked uh, about the, the shape of the and size of the hole. And I was like, all right, I use shape water. I create an ice cube that should plug the, the hole. And he had ruled that it doesn't because of, you know, the shape of ice cube and the exact size and stuff like that. And I originally, I, I had started fighting him on this because I had this, you know, idea in my head of like, Hey, you know, it makes sense physically, blah, blah. blah. And, and it went on for probably like a solid three minutes, which doesn't sound like a long time, but it is when you're in these kind of situations. 
and it came down to it's like hey it, we just you just say no for now and we'll deal with it later and then like you know 20 minutes later i sent him a message in im where i was like hey i'm sorry i was being a dick and he was like yeah i'm sorry if i like came down on you pretty hard but that's one of those things i'm talking about where it's like i I didn't realize I was doing it till I was already past the point of doing it. And so And w- once you got past it though too, here's the fun part is I, I didn't I didn't want the the can trip to be the solution. It, it might be silly because like the way I had the hole in my head, it didn't make sense. But immediately after we agreed to stop arguing, he used a different spell to make the ice cube larger and I was like, Okay, makes sense. You know, and like we so he ended up, you know, becoming more creative, having two spells interact with each other. And I liked the way that ended up turning out. Like, when I think of that now, I only remember that it was successful. I don't really remember the argument as much now. And it did help me become better as a DM, because while he may have argued with me, I was also equally as guilty as I, I let myself get frustrated and argue back. You know? and like, it's better to just admit, you know, hey, we're, we're both being jerks. You know, let's, let's calm down. Let's move past it. And let's focus on the premise of the game, which is to have fun. Exactly. Yeah, see, I've never had arguments like that with my DM. Typically, the arguments I've had with my DM is, no, you just can't punch the villagers in the face because they looked at you funny. Uh, if I were DMing, I would say, yeah, you could punch a villager in the face because it looks at you funny, but there would be consequences. And if yeah. you keep on doing things like that, it could result in a situation that is problematic. So that comes back into the, you know, recognize that you're not the only player at the table. We're all here to have fun together. And if you start basically dominating the campaign by doing really overtly shitty and selfish things, then it's like, maybe you should go play a video game. Yeah, so you have like a bard like, that wants to talk to I people. And every, time, every time you walk up, the bard starts talking to somebody, you punch him in the face. It's like, then you're kind of, you know, preventing someone else from playing. But if like your party is like, we're the face punchers, it's kind of like, okay. No, There's one problem I ran into. I, I never directly, I tried not to do that, but it was more like, oh, God, and we're in another fight. Why do you have to punch everybody? Because that's just the way my character is. And again, this is probably why I do war games, because war games is very simply, I'm going to go over there and punch that guy in the face, and you're rewarded for it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of those things where it's like you create a character then, it sounds like, in just listening to it, that you create a character without your other players in mind which is not a you know a cardinal sin or anything but you, you get know, more out of it play. no i've more or less given up my desire to play D. well would you be interested in playing a warhammer tabletop game called wrath and glory oh there's a bunch of varying warhammer ones i am no, interested there's in. one there's only one official and it's called wrath and glory all the other ones have been dropped you can still okay oh, is that the 40k one or the fantasy one 40k Oh, okay, I well, they got that. a fantasy one coming out. And see, 40K would be a lot simpler because then, yeah, we're going to go punch that thing in the face. Why? Because it's fucking 40K. I've started looking into it a little bit. I got a um, a preview PDF of like just 40 pages. It's like a 300-page book or something like that. And if I get a group to play it, I will buy the book because, you know, this is I'm I'm – I'm a proponent of supporting the things that you get into, but from what little I've read, you can be uh, various types of members of the, you know, the Imperium. Like you can be an Astartes or just an Inquisitor or, or a witch hunter. Trader. Yeah. Or you could be like an orc mercenary, or you could even be like a, you know, a chaos space Marine. So there's a lot of options in there for based on how you want to play. I don't think like Tyranid Necron are options, but I know there's some Eldar, they're an option. I, of course, want to play. Necron can be an option. Tyranid, I don't know how you'd do that and keep without breaking the lore. 
point is there is an official supported Warhammer 40k tabletop roleplay game called Wrath and Glory. So I know they've been it. starting to get them going again because they've got one they just kicked off for fantasy that's like D&D but angrier because that's just Warhammer in general. I'll say this too though. I, I'm a firm believer that once you start the world, like the world is yours. So like if I put a, let's say Game of Thrones, I did a D&D Game of Thrones setting, I might say, uh, okay, from this point on in the series, this is where the game starts from that point on, the lore is mine. Like I, like I like to play with it because I, you don't want to be boxed into anything because you never know what you're going to change. I could get into a Game of Thrones style D&D game. Well, well, that's I'd, I'd want to hybridize it though. Well, it's funny about that whole concept is, so I'm a big uh, Norse guy, right? Like we've established this. I kept three different Norse books like, uh, you know, near me in the house. And in my, one of the campaigns with Snail, the one that's online, I, the one I play a barbarian, that barbarian is uh, an Einherjar, essentially. This Viking whose backstory is that he's been killed and reborn many, many times over millennia. And that the the gods keep bringing him back for you know various purposes. They like send him on quests, essentially. So what the DM has has done is that whenever he has to set up some sort of like Norse concept... He will generally, because my character is like, uh, has ex, um, proficiency in religion because he's an Einherjar and he's basically a Nordic priest, he will hand off to me to say, like, okay, let, let Uvo, that's my character's name, Uvo, let Uvo explain, you know, the goddess hell. And then I will say my whole thing and then I'll say to Colin, like, is that all right? Because that that's the dm and i'll and it's his world he's allowed to change like i'm telling it as actual norse mythology and as much of that as works he lets me just he lets me define it but i always give him the the you know the staff to say like hey if something about this is not correct for your world tell me and you know we'll move with it so and that's one good thing too is you control your player like, uh, in my opinion, the, the player should always control their character completely. What you think, what you feel, what you believe is under your control. So if you want to believe that Odin is actually a goblin, that's your character's business. Whether or not in that setting that's true, that's kind of the DM's business. Now, a good DM might just let Uvo talk and then steal his ideas and be like, of course that's the way it works, right? Because then you don't have to do all that work. You could let your players do the work. But the important thing is to let them control their characters. That's a hilarious mental image that just popped into my head. I'm sorry. Goblin Odin. <laughs> yeah, he's just you know, got a floppy hat and a fake beard and a stick, and he's I, shouting at the top of his lungs, and you just come up and whack him on top of the head and going, no. By the way, the concept of Snail's talking about is super important because I have seen it done in the exact opposite and terrible direction, which is, so my lady, uh, Scarlet Crimson, I call it by various synonyms for the color red, she first to my knowledge, played a role-playing game with me and my friends when we were playing Shadowrun. Now, our DM at the time, he was very skilled at playing characters because he was an actor. Like, he had a, an acting degree, I think. I don't know what the details of how that works is, but he was an actor, a theater actor. So he was very good at playing all these very various characters. But he didn't... He broke a cardinal rule that, that Snell just talked about, which is he basically controlled her character for her on her first session and then did something that was just really gross, which is she came in, she played this character that was a, a ranger, essentially, who was very shy and awkward and like built into her character was an inability to 
uh, you know, socialize essentially. So then the DM constructed a scenario where because she failed a charisma check, he told her that she was like in love with this character that he had in an NPC and then like told her that she was unable to resist him and, and essentially you know, there's no real nice way to put this, but had this character rape her while, while and, drunk. And that's Whoa, like, what yeah, the hell? that's a big no, no. And there's some people out there that would like adult themed games, I guess. Right. And that's, that's a conversation you and your DM and the other players should have about expectations about uh, what you deem is appropriate for discussion and what you're okay with. You know, I, I would say that most people that play D and D from my experience, especially like do not, associate with that type of role-playing where they'll role-playing you know molest you yeah so like he didn't call it that i mean in 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 the 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 way he was describing it is just like okay whether you actually care about it or not i'm telling you that your character is drunk and into this guy so you're gonna go home and sleep with him and then it it fucked over her entire feeling about role-play for a long time it took like three years for me to get her to agree to try a different role play session with uh, a different group of people entirely, which now she's been playing with for a few months and you know, she got really into it. She drew up her OC. Uh, she got a model and painted it. So much better experience. But point is that, yeah, you don't take away a player's agency. You don't tell them that, you know, they're going to do this thing or, you know, are unable to resist. The, the only time you can get away with that is if you're in combat and it's like a vampire who's mind controlling you and they're taking you away for combat purposes. But that's not the it, same thing as... And you really shouldn't... There's some lines you shouldn't cross. They're just inappropriate. Even if you can mind control people, you know? Yeah, exactly. Player agency is, like, paramount when it comes to these games. Anyway, sorry to take it to the, the dark uh, place, but the point is it came out on top and having a fun time with those games. and. I don't know where I was going with that. So <laughs> we'll get well, in post. Yeah, I think uh, it's good enough time as any to start, you know, wrapping it up. Okay, well then my conclusion. Sorry, I feel like I stole a lot of your time from you, Snail. But I feel yeah, like I mean, my time Snail was the have... whole episode. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But like I said, Snail and I, we both are in two different, you know, role play groups uh, that meet like every week. It's, well, one of them meets every other week. So we're like role play buddies in fact in uh one of those sessions the one online we actually created our characters kind of together and in so like uvo this einherjar barbarian i had built him with that idea and then snail creates this girl that's basically a valkyrie who has a vision of the einherjar and so like their backstories are connected also she was trained by my other character from a previous campaign so you know how you're this big lore fiend, Ulrich? Well, we get this kind of fun out of creating our own lore over like several years of playing different kind of campaigns that you can kind of mix in the same universes. Yeah, we like to tie it all together. It's like our own connected universe, you know? I think that eventually, any if you're anything long enough, I forget, someone made the quote, you know, about if an author works in the same body long enough, eventually they create a connected universe. I buy it. So I think the real takeaway is no matter what you're into, there's probably a role-playing version of that for you somewhere with different levels of commitment. Okay, let's move on to suggestions of the week. All right, I'm going to go real quick because 
my option is a video game based on a tabletop war game, which is I've spent a lot of time recently talking about Warhammer. I mean, it's well known at this point that Ulrich and I are both big fans of Warhammer 40k in general. We just recently recorded like an orc episode that's going to go up at some point if it's not already up. I don't know. I can't, don't keep track sometimes. But I want to point out that I didn't get into Warhammer originally with the tabletop or even the lore. I got into it with the video game, which is Dawn of War Dark Crusade. Now, Dawn of War has a few different versions. There's Dawn of War, there's Winter Assault, I think, and there's like Soul Storm. Storm. Yeah. But generally speaking, as far as I can tell uh, from most of the forums I've read, the fan base kind of universally agrees that Dark Crusade is the best version of Dawn of War 1. And it yeah. is, yeah, it, it's a real time strategy game. And it just takes place in the Warhammer universe. It gives you access to all the the main base, like the, the interesting races. I think the only race that I would have liked to add is like the Tyranids. So, but other than that, it has the Orcs, the Necron, the Chaos, the Space Marines, like all all the big players. And it's squad based. It's hilarious. It's like, especially because I play Orcs, but the the audio clips are like really interesting and unique especially from the commander units and if you have never actually you know gotten into warhammer at all it's a good place to start just to like see if you're into the tone and style of the world for the most part yeah it holds up it's got a couple flaws like the biggest one i wish they would fix is just uh unit footprint def and pathfinding is atrocious I guess, but I play with orcs, so I have this this huge army, and I just say, "Hey, horde, go that direction." So I like the nuns with guns and uh, soulstorm personally. Sisters of battle, which are pretty cool. So no, it's a solid game. Yeah, my point is that Warhammer 40k is such a densely packed thing that it can be interesting to figure out how to enter it. Do you enter with a book? Do you actually, you know, go to your local shop and try to start getting to the into the tabletop. And I think that Dark Crusade, which was my entry point, is it works really well as an entry point because you can get it for like, you know, less than 10 bucks on Steam. It's an RTS, so it functions very similarly to other things like, you know, StarCraft and whatnot. And I suck at RTSs and I still find fun with it. So you don't have to be good at RTSs to find enjoyment out of it. And it's just a good way, a litmus test for if you're going to be into the, uh, the whole universe of 40K. There's a lot of codexes in that game too, so if you're worried about lore, there's plenty of reading contained within the game, so you'll still find out about the groups, and maybe that'll segue you, like uh, Axel was saying as well. Anyway, that's my suggestion, because I've been replaying it recently, and I still love it. Good choice. Uh, I'll go next, so I have uh, a suggestion, and it's about the D&D universe, particularly Faerun, which right now in 5th edition, that's kind of like the, the canon universe. There's been other universes in the past, like different planes, right? And they all exist in D&D, but usually like they'll lock into a plane. This one, this book is called Homeland, and it's about a, a drow, which is a dark elf named Drizzt. And he he's a hero, right? And it, it'll go a lot into depth. You learn all about it. And anyone who thinks dark elves are cool will realize they're actually really evil and bad by reading the book. And uh, I actually learned about it from one of my best friends, who could be the farthest thing from like all things nerdum? And when we were kids, he's like, "Hey, I read this book I found at the library about a, a dark elf, and he's really cool, man." And I read about it, and I didn't even know it was about like a D and D setting till later on because it was just a well written fantasy book. And that's that's my homeland. experience with it. Uh, well, the other interesting thing about Drizzt specifically is, I remember when I was first getting a D and D, I was like, "Okay, this is game has existed for like forty years uh, or more." So depending on anyway, but there must be established 
lore with really good stories like there is with Warhammer. So I was just curious and I was looking up like, you know, what are the who are the biggest heroes in in D&D lore? Like who is the thrall, you know, from World of Warcraft, but of like D&D, for instance. And generally speaking, the answer I got is Drizzt. This dark elf is like the closest thing to a, a a link or you know like a hero quote unquote of D and D like as a, a concept like a uh, almost like a mascot. He's the closest thing anyway. Oh, and last thing, adopt older dogs. I said it in another episode. I'll plug it every episode I join in. Agreed. Fair enough. All right. So I got a couple. Uh, both I think if you enjoy this podcast, you'll enjoy these. Uh, the first is the Nerd Goat Podcast. Uh, goat standing for greatest of all time it's a podcast where they bring on guests talk to them and then ask them who is their favorite you know uh fictional character their greatest of all time i've listened to one about Tyrion. i've listened to one about uh superintendent chalmers it's really great to hear some of these people talk about this is my favorite fictional character and this is why and it's really well done. It's really interesting. And it's definitely a podcast I just picked up on recently. But if you like us and you like, you know, this whole podcast, check them out. As a quick side note, did it make you think of what your goat character is? Sort of. It made me start thinking about who my favorite Game of Thrones characters are and then made me question myself. Because a while back, I actually did a thing where I, I was like, all right, what are my top five favorite video game characters? Or my top five favorite movie characters? Or my top five fi-? And I did that for like all the mediums. And then I went through them together. And then this was like four years ago. So I don't know how accurate it holds up. But at the time I found out that my favorite fictional character of all time at that point was Bugs Bunny. Interesting. Now I just did it for Game of Thrones and I stopped when I got to the mountain. All right. Yeah. Anyways, another. It's a series on Netflix, which if you are have not watched it, you need to watch it. Just and if you're curious about where to jump in, jump in at the episode called Suits. I'll circle back around to that. I'm talking about Love, Death, and Robots. Have you guys heard of this? I watched it. I actually didn't like it. I'll I'll be the naysayer here. I only watched trailer and all i remember was what looked like furry fox thing with a very well-drawn figure episode okay so love death and robots is an anthology series it's animated um each with a bunch of short episodes or each being about i think at most 20 minutes all of a sci-fi fantasy bent and all relate or go around to love death or robots snowboat i am hurt that you didn't enjoy this because i don't there are any bad episodes because even if the episodes are okay the animation is amazing i'll come right out and say it there's a whole lot of nudity like this puts game of thrones to shame with the level of nudity that they put in so just know that going in and violence lots and lots of violence so i'll just talk about my favorite episode which is called suits which is about a group of farmers who wield giant mechs and fight these insectoid creatures that break through the wall in a final last stand. And I watched this with my daughter and she was giggling and laughing and clapping the whole time, especially when one of the giant mechs whips out a flamethrower. Bully. Yeah, honestly, again, if you like this podcast, you got to check this out because they're not all super violent. Some of them are really deep and macabre and disturbing. There's a couple that spring to mind. 
but the art style on its own is worth a watch. And again, they're only like 11 minutes long. You can watch a couple and go, okay, that was enough for me, and then come back and watch some more. They're I actually very it. short. I it. Yeah, it's a bunch of short films. They all kind of feel like they would be interesting premises for TV series. So the two I will suggest is I will suggest uh, Suit, if you're of an action bent, or The Day the Yogurt Took Over the World, if you're more of a satirical comedy. What was the one with the obviously furry bait? I don't remember that one's called, but it's really, really cool. There's, that one is actually the premise for an anime I would watch the hell out of. Just imagine uh, superhero rape vengeance. Have you ever watched Heavy Metal, Ulrich? Yeah, uh, it didn't do it for me. That was too weird. See, I, I'll say this. This this anthology series is actually, if I'm not mistaken, made by the people who made Heavy Metal. It's got I a Heavy to Metal love, to it. I love Heavy Metal, and I've always liked that, and it, it can be a little raunchy at times. But I, I will say that I personally, I just I didn't enjoy the series. It wasn't for me. I, I did like your last recommendations, though, Umbrella Academy and Sex Education. Or whatever. Those are both. I will also say there is a short about werewolf soldiers fighting in Afghanistan that is brutal. I just want to make sure this show gets a second season. That's all I'm saying. Go watch this. I was planning to check it out. I'm just I'm currently watching The Good Place with my lady, and which I love, by the way. And Ulrich's already put on a suggestions of the week. But if you haven't checked out The Good Place, do that and go in knowing as little as possible. Yep. All right. Well, firstly, we'd like to thank Snailboat Captain for coming on and talking with us again. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm always happy to come. All right, we'll try and, and before, get you back on again. And before we move on, I want to I want to take a moment to. It's a weird segue, but when we did our year long our year anniversary episode and we lost it, we're kind of adapting it uh, the, the same concept into our fiftieth episode. But there was something I did in that episode that I've been meaning to do again since we lost it anyway, which is because of our obsession with the Norse and because of the symbol of our podcast right now being like a Roman thing, Ulrich who runs the Twitter continuously has to deal with um, Nazis essentially. And I want to, I want to take this as a moment as a loose segue to say that geeks with shields as a podcast uh, and, and as a group vehemently puts the flag down on anti-Nazi anti uh, Aryan nation anti-white supremacist racist bullshit so we want our stance to be very well defined and very well known yeah it kind of sucks we have to keep you know reminding that one but just a resounding comment of fuck nazis is always appreciated Exactly, but we haven't done it like in the one time we did do it in podcast we lost that podcast so i just want to take a moment to to put the flag down here in this recording to say yeah fuck nazis and everything they stand for and we do not acknowledge or accept like white supremacists attempting to use Norse symbols and shit like that. We, we don't. So not involved with them at all. Well, we're getting demonetized. Fine. I, it's worth, uh, I will, I will take this political stance. So You'll die on this hill. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. a, I mean, I agree. I, I think that it's a, it's a very easy thing to say. And I, I appreciate you guys saying it as like someone who's a fan that also gets to join sometimes. So. Anyway, sorry to go down to this like sad thing, but like I said, Ulrich has to continuously deal with these people on Twitter, and I want to make our, you know, our stance crystal clear. All right, as always, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, and most importantly, share, because we cannot get new subscribers unless you share this with people. I cannot repeat that enough. I'm going to keep saying it. Just share this podcast, if nothing else. You don't even have to listen to it. 
just share it. Do us that. And as per my job, which I'm actually fine with, if you're not already listening to us on SoundCloud, if you're listening to us on YouTube, well, first of all, thank you. And second of all, we're also on SoundCloud, where I think it's more convenient generally. If there's another platform that you would like us to explore the concept of looking into, uh, that would be easier for you, let us know, and we'll look into it. All right. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.